Today, back on the show, I'm talking to Dan Insel of Montecito in Santa Barbara, ranked number one in sales in his local MLS for the last 15 years and ranked as one of the top 10 brokers worldwide at Berkshire Hathaway. In our first interview, we spoke about how to gain clarity as you grow. Dan's client's reviews over and over are that he is a great negotiator. He also happens to be a great poker player. Last interview, we didn't touch on that. Today, we'll talk about it. Negotiating multi-million dollar deals and applying poker to real estate. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody, we're back. Dan Insel, we had to bring him back on the show again. Something we did not get a chance to cover was negotiating. This guy, well, first of all, everybody, let me just remind you in case you're watching us live and didn't see the last interview, Dan Insel is in, is in Montecito, Santa Barbara, um, California. He is the top agent in sales in their MLS system, which is pretty much one of the top agents, period. And um, last time we talked about just you really are concise and decisive in the way you do business. And that what's, that's what makes you a top agent. We had so much to talk about. We missed out on negotiating. So we're going to cover that. But first, Dan, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me back, Jerry. Good to have you. Thanks. So let's talk a little bit about first this negotiating thing. You're very good at, obviously, but does that have anything to do with your passion for poker? Probably. Well, first, all, I'm going to start by saying that I think one of the better skills a good real estate agent should have is negotiation skills. And it's a two part thing. I think it's important to have negotiation skills for yourself in terms of negotiating the listing price that you take a property at, negotiating the commission split that you get. Those are very important. And then equally important is negotiating on behalf of your client, getting them what they're looking for. So the average agent doesn't do that many transactions a year. And so they don't get that much opportunity to practice their negotiation in the real world there. Poker provides a very unique and um, fantastic opportunity to work on your negotiation skills. Poker in its purest form is negotiation. It's really, um, you don't know what the other player has. They don't know what you have. So you are wagering money. And that's the only way poker really works is you have to be wagering something of value there to sort of influence the outcome that you're looking for, which is to try to win. So again, poker provides you a really great opportunity to practice and brush up on your negotiation skills in a fun environment on a very regular basis. And if you can play poker for dollars or hundreds of dollars that allow you to brush up on your negotiation skills and make them better for when you're negotiating for thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, then you're better off. So again, it provides you a really good opportunity to improve your negotiation skills for a fraction of the cost of when you're doing it in your real estate career. 
So I love what you said in, in, in summary. Negotiating is wagering to win. I didn't hear that. Sorry. Negotiating is wagering to win. Correct. Yeah. And that's, that's what you're doing is you're just trying to, you know, optimize the outcome. So when you're playing poker, again, it's not that you're not just playing one hand for the evening, you're playing over a series of hands. And the goal is, and the only way you sort of figure out how good you are is, did you make money? So if you made money, then you were good. You, you were better at your skill than the people you were playing with. So in, in poker, well, in negotiating, what are the categories or what are the, if you could bullet point, like this is what you need to be good at to be a great negotiator. Okay. What are they? So I think the very first thing you need to do is understand the other person and what motivates them. And then when you're negotiating in real estate, sometimes there's both sides. You need to understand your client and what motivates them. And you need to understand the other side and what motivates them. Once you understand that, you can communicate with everybody. That increases your chances of having a successful negotiation. But without knowing what's important to everybody, without finding that out, you can't really be an effective negotiator. So I think that's the first step is learning as much as you can about both sides. And what's really, you know, if you have a listing, what's motivating them to sell? What's their time frame? Why are they moving? How can you help them? When you get an offer on your listing, what's motivating the buyer? You already understand your side of the equation. What's motivating the buyer? So you don't really want to operate from a vacuum. You want to learn as much as you can about the other side and really what's motivating them. That helps you when you're discussing with your client how to move this forward. So the first step is just learning as much as you can. So number one, learn. Um, by asking a lot of questions. Yes. So is number, what is number two? I've got some questions about number one, but I'm going to get, I want us to bullet point these first. So I think it's also important to let the other side know that you know what's motivating them so that they understand that you're operating from full knowledge there. So it's not enough to understand what's motivating the other side. I think you need to let them know that you understand what's motivating them and that you're trying to, you know, help out with, with that goal for everybody. You know, ideally it's possible in real estate transactions to come up with a win-win scenario. And again, if you understand what everyone's looking for and you can achieve that, that's fantastic. And are we going to do like three points or everybody, we're doing this completely off the cuff, which sometimes makes it even better. But would you say, so learn, listen, ask the right questions, i.e. discover the right motivators of everyone involved. Everyone um, involved. Let the other people know that you're negotiating with that you what you know and that you're working to help them accomplish their goal. Mm -hmm. And then what's... Number three, I, I am a firm believer in don't speak for your clients. Um, so many times in real estate, you see another agent say, oh, my client will never pay that much or my client would never accept that offer. We've seen that for our entire careers and frequently that other agent is wrong. Don't speak That's for your client. Ever. Do not think or speak for your client ever. Right. And ever. it's such, such, such a temptation for agents. They want to be in charge and they want to be their client's hero. But 
again, a lot of times they don't really understand everything that's going on. And uh, you and I have been surprised numerous times in terms of we'll have a seller who says they'll never take below X. And then a good offer comes in and lo and behold, they're willing to come way below X. Similarly, we've had buyers. It's like it's as much as I'm paying. And then, you know, another offer come in and they'll go way above that. So don't assume and don't speak for your client. I think those are two really important rules for real estate agents in negotiations there. Um, so is that it? Are those the three or do we have? Any? I think those are three important ones for sure. So there's, let's talk about the three. Know the motivators of all parties. I think some people just want to know their motivators and they forget that the other party's motivators make a big difference. Let the other side you know about their motivators. That's number two. And number three, don't speak for your clients or in other words, don't make assumptions. Yes, I think those are all important. You know, maybe they say it. Maybe they say it where you're from too, Dan. But in the South, you know what we say about assuming. Yes. Makes an ass out of you and me. Mm -hmm. We can say ass on this show because we're not like on the radio or anything. Um, So that being said, what is the best way... The motivator question, I got a couple of questions about because when you're discovering motivators of people, sometimes they don't think they want you to know their motivators. They don't tell you their motivators. How do you pull out those motivators? And and are are there situations where people have motivators they're not even conscious of, for example, themselves? Yeah. And again, I think a lot of times, so say you have a listing there and they're set on a certain price because they want to accomplish certain goals there. But then they get an offer in front of them and they start thinking, again, without sharing it necessarily with you, but call it pillow talk with their spouse there about what they could do with the money. Yes, it didn't accomplish everything we tried to accomplish, but if we got it sold for this price, we could do this, this, and this. And sometimes it's helpful to get them a seller net sheet and say, hey, if we got this amount and here's your closing cost at this amount, here's how much money you get. And let them think about it and think of all the things that they could do with the money there. And again, I think a lot of times we're surprised at what they are willing to accept there. And that's still doing a good job for them. Because again, if we can improve their situation by getting them a sale and allowing them to do many of the things they want to accomplish with the money, then we've done our job there. Again, we don't necessarily accomplish everything that they're looking for, but that's you know, that's sort of the nature of the business there. And also maybe how realistic their their expectations were. So do you find that when you're, well, not do you, I know you do, motivators change. How do you anticipate these motivators changing? I find that often real estate agents talk about, you know, they weren't that motivated to sell and suddenly they were motivated to sell motivations change you've got to discover motivations you don't always know what they are then motivations change how do you know when they're going to change how do you anticipate and one of the biggest issues we agents have is we come into a transaction or a client or whatever it is and motivations are in one place and it's like the ground might shift underneath us and it goes to another what is your best advice on i mean it's a loaded question but kind of like fill us in on that part of understanding motivations So, again, it comes down to what's a really important skill for a real estate agent all the way across the board, which is ask a lot of questions and be a good listener once you've asked the questions. So don't assume you know the answers. Ask the questions. 
and then sit back and listen and let them talk and explain it to you and ask the questions in a way that generates you know the responses so i think those are important skills for a real estate agent to have and like i want to bring some poker into this a little bit okay when you're playing poker what it will bring back in these three points again know the motivations of all sides share with the other side what you know and that you're going to help them get what they want and don't speak for your clients don't make assumptions um do you have any fun examples of us playing poker of a time where something happened and you're like, oh, I knew not to do that or, oh, like, and are you thinking about how that applies to negotiating real estate when you're playing poker? Well, again, I, I try to, uh, you know, during poker, use that as a learning experience to improve my real estate negotiation skills for sure. Um, but rarely in poker does somebody have the very best hand possible. And even if they do, the goal isn't necessarily winning the hand. If you've got the best hand possible, you already know you're going to win. There is no other outcome. But unless you maximize how much money you made, then you really do not do a very good job about it. So in poker, it's not necessarily about winning the hand. It's about making as much money as you possibly could in winning that hand. So it's sort of a two-part goal. Win as much as you can on the hands that you win and minimize losing as little as you can on the hands that you don't win. So look at losing like taking a bad listing where you took a listing that's overpriced or you didn't have it for a long enough period of time and you spent time and money on it and you didn't get a sale. That's like losing a hand in poker. You wanna minimize those. A successful one is one that you actually got it listed at the right price and you got it sold and you made money. So you wanna sort of maximize those. Poker's the same way. Again, if you can win more hands than you lose, you don't necessarily make money. You have to make more money on the hands that you win than you do losing money on the hands that you lose. That's really what it's about. So it's sort of a combination of maximizing success, minimizing failure. And again, that's that's the key to being a successful real estate agent is using your time wisely so that you're spending it on the buyers and sellers that are more likely to lead to a successful result than the buyers and sellers that are going to take your time and energy and not lead to successful results. So same sort of thing, just a different format. Minimize your losses, maximize your wins. What do you find in, I found many times in my career, I've been a little bit surprised and maybe that's a bad skill set of mine. And which clients end up being the clients that are successful. I've often had transactions where I thought, well, this listing, I'm not sure how this is going to go, but I, I want to work with the seller. I like them. It's a great property for my portfolio. And the next thing I know, it's performing like better than any other. And the opposite happens. Do you have the same thing or do you have any advice on how you, we want to be discerning, but not, it could be there have been times where if I really thought I had a choice or clients I might not have taken that actually did really well. Again, it's it's really comes down to probably experience and predictive ability there, which hopefully over time you get better at. No one's perfect at it. Here's Dan. It might be a hopeless case. Well, and it always stings when you're wrong. If you don't take a listing or don't work with a buyer and they do a transaction, that stings. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the business. It does hurt. 
but again, I think in this business, it's important to focus on your successes and what you've done right and really not dwell on what you've done wrong, because I think that sort of sends you down the wrong path. Um, well, here's, you know, a question, and here's a question from a newer agent, because I do often find the ones I really don't want to work with are pretty obvious. You know, the ones that I'm like, mm, maybe, maybe not. I know they're going to be fine to work with, but there have been a few that it's really obvious the answer is no. And the former Jerry Metcalf of 15 years ago would have taken them and spun my wheels on them. Um, what's your advice to newer agents on, do you just say yes to it all to learn? Or are there some people you still say no to? And how do you, how do you set those boundaries of, of, of how you negotiate with yourself? What deals you're going to do in the first place? Sure. So, so a good way to look at it is how many hours in a day and a week do you have? And then who's your best use of the energy to spend that time on there? So the goal as a younger agent is to, increase your choices of buyers and sellers that you have to work with so that you can pick the best ones to fill those time. If you don't have a lot of choices, you almost have to work with the people that aren't the best use of time, but use that as a learning experience. There's plenty of times you can take a listing that's overpriced and doesn't have a very good chance of selling, but that you can leverage that to actually you know, get extra business from that. So you have a listing. You can go door knock on the people around you and say, hey, got this listing. I'm going to do an open house, come by, meet some neighbors, send out brochures, send out postcards, do an open house, meet other neighbors. You may not have got it sold, but you did accomplish something by it. You got your name out in the neighborhood. People saw your sign. People saw your ads in the newspaper. So you can still accomplish a lot, but you just have to be honest with yourself on what you're trying to accomplish with it. If your goal is to get it sold, well, Maybe then, then you weren't successful. But if your goal is to get some extra marketing and recognition and meet some people through it, then you can accomplish that. So I think it's important to figure out what you're trying to accomplish. And, and a, a lot of agents don't even ask themselves that question. What am I trying to accomplish with this overpriced listing? If I'm spinning my wheels and just trying to spend a fortune advertising it, maybe it wasn't a good use of time. But if I'm trying to leverage it to get credibility, and get notoriety and get my name out there and meet other prospective sellers and meet other prospective buyers, you can accomplish that for sure. So you just have to sort of figure out what you're trying to accomplish. Well, what a great question, because what what am I trying to accomplish? I've found that is one of the most powerful questions I can ask myself. Um, and in meeting goals, is it really about the goal or perhaps it's about something bigger, like what we value um, and what that gets us in the bigger goals. but what am I trying to, and then when you're asking clients, sometimes they get upset, sometimes things little can bother. And when you stop and say, Hey, what is, what is the big goal here? It's amazing where that gets you and where that gets us with ourselves. It also reminds me of something Gary Keller said, um, a long time ago. He said, when you're a new agent, take deals to learn. You don't take deals just to do deals. Mm -hmm. So motivators was number one. Let's dig a little bit now into. I think a lot of negotiators would say, you know, you've got to hold the cards closed. Don't let them know what you know. And you, you're saying, let the other side know what you know. Mm -hmm. So the, the other thing going back to that is to ask your clients, which I think is very important to learn what's motivating them on each transaction. Let's talk about what we're trying to accomplish with these negotiations. 
it's not always necessarily about the highest price or the shortest escrow. What may be important to them is the ability to lease it back for a while. Um, you know, or maybe they want a long escrow and we assume they want a short escrow. So again, I think it's very important to ask them, what are we trying to accomplish here? Here's all the different moving parts we have. There's price, there's length of escrow, there's, you know, ability to lease it back possibly. There's maybe ability to sell furniture, furnishing. So what are we trying to accomplish? And let's talk about all the different moving parts because by at least asking that, you get them thinking. And it gets you more educated on them and what's motivating them because it's not always about price. We assume it is, and it's not. Sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes it's about certainty. Sometimes it's about the lease back. Uh, there's think, lots of moving parts. And something that makes me think of when you say let people know what you know. When people know, you know. Is it, in other words, when they know you hear them and you understand them and you're actually – because sometimes people say, oh, you're the realtor. You're just looking for the commission. But when they can hear you relate, they can hear you understand, they can hear you asking questions and looking to understand more, that aligns them to the deal. And whether it's you and the client, you and the other agent, you with somebody else in the transaction, that also then opens them up to more options to discover what they want more and or discover more motivations that we all need to know. Mm -hmm. Which I think is important. And then the other thing that's, I think, important in negotiations is to speed them up. I mm -hmm. think that, you know, the more time that a buyer doesn't hear back from a seller, the more insecure they get about it. And rarely does that push them to, you know, want it more. They just start getting insecure and, um, you know, don't want rejection. So then they start talking themselves out of the deal. So I think if a buyer's agent and a seller's agent can both speed up the process in terms of communicating, even if it's not a response, but at least communicating with the other side, they're thinking about it, they're talking about it, they're checking with their CPA, whatever it is to keep the dialogue going, I think that helps the chances of negotiation successfully coming together. There's a term I heard an attorney use. He called it deal heat, where when they're back and forth, back and forth, right. more rapidly, there's more chance that that they will both make some concessions and to get the deal together there. So I think that's a very real term in negotiations, deal heat, that I don't think agents really fully think of, but it's there. Well, deal heat sounds to me like um, traction to get trajectory, to get mm -hmm. the deal or you probably know I'm a big fan of Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference. You've got to read it. I don't think you've read it. But you're saying a lot of the stuff you do is what he does. You just don't know it because you've read the book. But he says it's not a sin to not get a deal. It's a sin to take a long time to not get a deal. That's, and you're more likely to not get that. a deal. Yeah. You don't have some deal heat to get some traction to get the deal to close. Yeah. Um. Any advice or fun stories from poker to that aspect of deal heat and letting the other side know what you know? So a lot of times I think it's more effective to, you know, if you have a really good hand, um, don't necessarily bet it like you do. If you see other people betting and you can sort of sit on the sidelines and watch the, the amount of money in the pot grow because other people are doing the work for you, then again, and then you come in at the end and win, and they're just shocked. Um, 
same sort of thing can happen in negotiations also. You can let your, your clients do all the talking or them do all the talking and then just be a good listener, but know what your position is and know what your client's trying to accomplish there. So again, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the one who's doing all the talking to be the more successful person in negotiations. You can be sitting and listening, but still knowing what you want to accomplish there. So that can be very effective. So they would call that maybe slow playing where you're, um, you know, again, involved, but not the person pushing the action. Such great advice. I am definitely guilty of this. When you're just doing the talking, you feel like something's getting done because you're exerting effort in talking. Oftentimes you're just digging a hole. And when you're not doing talking, you get to actively listen. Or my favorite is like, oh, so how are we supposed to do that? Give them the problem to give you the solution, which gives you back to number one, more motivations that everybody needs to know to get us where we, because nobody's getting anywhere without some motivations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it helps to have an uncomfortable silence where whether you're negotiating with the other side or talking with your clients to pose a question and then just sit back and let them think and don't offer advice and don't offer opinion, but let them come forward with it there. So, I mean, how many times have, have we come up with, you know, um, you know, thinking in our mind what number we want to suggest, and then they come up with something that's far greater than that, and we're glad that we held our tongue and didn't say something. It's very common. So I don't think there's much upside to being the first person to speak. There's not much upside in being the first person to speak. In negotiations. <laughs> so, so in that in that being said, agents usually have an aggressive nature. They want to go first. They want to get out there. That's why they're realtors and they don't have real jobs or whatever. <laughs> What's your advice to someone who does want to speak a lot, speak first? How do you find the what – what do you do? You seem to be a little bit more of a listener, by the way. But. I try. I try hard. And, and again, I, the people describe my negotiation style as the velvet hammer, where I keep working to get what I want, but in a very soft, subtle way. So I don't really beat people over the head with it, but I continually sort of chipping away. So the velvet hammer is sort of a nice nickname for my negotiation style. So how do you know when to hold or when to be quiet? When to just when you've got don't don't negotiate past yes. Once you've got what you're looking for, shut up. Don't negotiate past yes. That's great. Look at these quotes. I've got. I've already got too much stuff written down all over here. <laughs> don't negotiate. I'm trying to like quote you everywhere, but don't negotiate past yes. Any examples you can give us of when and how you learn exactly how not to negotiate past yes? Yeah, if you keep talking and then they start going down a different path once you've already got what you're looking for, once you've got what you're looking for, um, stop. There's no more upside. You've already got, you, you've won. You've got what you're looking for. So, you know, the only thing that can happen by continuing the dialogue is it could go the opposite direction and you could lose some of what you've tried to accomplish there. So once you've got what you've tried to accomplish, and I think it's important to figure out what you're trying to accomplish also. So I think a lot of agents need to go into negotiations, first of all, trying to figure out not only what their client's trying to accomplish, but what they're trying to accomplish also. So it's always good to have goals. I think goals are very important. And again, they require you to think. And again, it's not always about getting the most money. 
Um, I recently had a transaction where I represented the seller and our market is a very strong market right now. And I was very concerned about her being able to find a replacement property in a reasonable period of time. So we didn't necessarily take the highest price, but we got one that gave her a three month free lease back, which made it very comfortable for us when she was a buyer to be very comfortable and not feel rushed and not caught up in a very frenzied market right now. So I knew going into that, that was my biggest goal was to buy her time. And, and so maybe we didn't get the exact amount of money, but I think at the end of the transaction, if she realizes what was more important, she would agree that having that extra time was probably more valuable than possibly getting more money because it allowed her to find the house that she wanted to and not feel rushed into buying something that wasn't the right property for her. So again, there's always, I think it's important to figure out what, what your goals are as an agent for in that transaction, buying time and, uh, you know, opportunity was, was the most important thing I felt. And what your goals are based on obviously your client's need, knowing the client's motivations. Um, I love this. So you talked about, finding all motivations, letting the other side know what you know. Don't speak for your clients and don't assume in poker you don't have clients to speak for. And it's good to have some deal traction. Now I'm going to sum that up another way. The factors in negotiating are silence, speed, motivation. Go in with your goal and keep the traction. Oh, and then by the way, stop when you're done. Don't keep going off the cliff. Like once you get to the top of the mountain, like stop, you're there. Yeah. Know when you've gotten your goal. Yeah. Um, I love what you said about that, going in with your goal. I think a lot of people go into negotiations. I'll have clients say, look, this is the least I'm going to take. And I always say, look, if you go in, I'd love to know your thoughts on this, but when you go in focused on your bottom dollar, that's usually what you get, right? Mm-hmm. But if you go in like, this is my goal. This is what we're going for. How do we get it? How do we keep the traction and the speed of the deal? Make sure we're silent. Make sure we know the motivations. Then we know where to stop and not, we're not just going in, getting beaten down and settling for our goal. And I think one other thing that's very important, Gary, is what we didn't touch on is help the other side feel good about the negotiation also. So at the end of it, they feel like, again, that it was successful in some ways on their part also. So again, I think there's ways you can communicate to the other side in the negotiation on things that they did accomplish that, you know, concessions that the buyer or seller did make or that they beat out other people that offered more something to make them feel good about the transaction where they leave it in a, you know, with a good positive feeling about you as the agent and themselves about how, you know, how they handled it and what they accomplished with it. So I think that's important. So I can't believe you haven't read Never Spelt the Difference. Chris Vaught, you're like Chris Vaught's junior, but he always says your last impression is your lasting impression. Whatever the deal ends up, you always want people to leave it, leave feeling better and feeling good about the deal, whatever it is. Um, And that too, by the way, I just want to reiterate, that is letting the other side know what you know. I think that part, would you say, helps people also feel good when they feel heard? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Everyone wants to feel heard. Yeah, no question on that. um, 
And it's also just good business. There's been numerous times where when I represent a seller and the buyer um, who bought the property, I wasn't their agent. When it comes time to sell, they liked how I handled negotiations. And so they will call me to represent them. They thought I did a better job than their agent. So again, talk about negotiating. There's some negotiating. You're negotiating when you don't know you're negotiating. Yeah. And, and again, they, you, you left them with a good feeling, a good positive feeling, but they felt like they did, you did a better job for your client than their agent did for them, but they still had a good positive feeling about you. I think that's a very important way to leave, you know, the other side in the negotiations that, that it was, they, they were treated fairly. Exactly. So one more question, then we're going to do the final three, but this will not be the typical final three. This will be the final three on negotiating. Okay. Um, the last question is a lot of people, when they hear the word negotiating, words like beat them out, whatever, come to mind, win at all costs, fight. What is the word? If you could sum it up in one word, what is the word negotiating? Well, um, I, I would say that accomplishing what you and your client want to accomplish. That would be, you know, what I would see it as trying to get the goal that you're trying to achieve the goal that you're looking for, but knowing what the goal is also, because again, a lot of people don't really think that through. So I think knowing what the goal is and then trying to accomplish it and doing your best to try to accomplish it is how I would define negotiation. So I said one word, I'm going to give you not such a good listener as I said, huh? I kind of elaborate with my questions, but or I keep going. But one, it's the, here's the word that I'm thinking when I hear you talk about negotiating. Negotiating is exploring. I would say I would agree with that. It's not just exploring, but it's a process. When you know your goal, you know your motivations, you know all those things. The process of it is exploration to get you to all of those things. Okay. Um, what you're like, okay. <laughs> what would your one board board for negotiating be? I don't know. That's a tough, tough, tough question there. Um, understanding motivation that's two words, I guess. There, so that's accomplishing right. goals. I think I came up with a lot of two word ones, but not what's necessarily. Your, what's, your, what's your one two word summary of negotiating? Accomplishing goals. Accomplishing goals. Love it. And then I'll add my part through exploration. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm taking <laughs> this away from you. I'm having too much fun. But accomplishing goals. So in accomplishing goals, i.e. negotiating, we're going to do the final three because we've got about 10 minutes or a little bit less left. Number one, what do you find is your most resourceful tool in a good negotiation? Dialogue. Just continual dialogue, both with your clients, with yourself, with the other side, but continuous dialogue. That, that I think, is the most important key to a successful outcome in negotiations is non-adversarial dialogue. That, that, let's put it that way. You know, yeah, I think that's important. Non-adversarial dialogue. And that kind of covers everything we just talked about, including the when to be silent, listening speed, traction, motivation, going in with your goal. Um, number two, if there is a resource book, person, avenue to find the path to being a great negotiator, what is that best path? 
set up a little friendly, fun poker group and make the stakes be meaningful enough that you care, but not so meaningful that, you know, you're not being able to pay your house payment that month there. But I mean, it has to be real enough amount that you are using your negotiation skills and the money matters, but not so important that, that again, it's going to, you know, financially impact you in a, in a real negative way. But again, I think the more, more often you could do it, I play twice a week. I'd play every day if I could, but. <laughs> so idea. So obviously I've got a, a team of agents. We need to play poker at least once a week. Mm -hmm. Meeting will be a poker game, catching up over poker. And what a fun way to work on your negotiation skills. But again, if you break down poker it is the purest form of negotiation there is because again, if you don't know what they have, they don't know what you have. They can make assumptions on that. You can bet according to their assumptions or their fears. And at the end of it, it's how much money you made versus how much money you lost, which determines whether you're successful in those negotiations. I want to hear from any listeners whose teams actually play poker for negotiating practice. On that, how hard... So this interview could have been more interesting had I known how to play poker. How hard is it to learn how to play poker? So Texas Hold'em is probably the most common poker game, and that's what they play in the World Series of Poker. And there's a, there's a term about Texas Hold'em that it takes a couple minutes to learn and a lifetime to master. So, Texas which is, what's that? Texas Hold'em. Texas Hold'em. Hold'em. So, yeah. There's so how Texas much I know about all, all, all types of poker are variations of your best five cards. There's just lots of different ways to get there. Texas Hold'em, each player gets two cards that only they know. And then ultimately there's five community cards. You can use your two cards with any three of those five community cards to make the best hand possible. So, again, it only takes a couple minutes to learn how to play, but they say it takes a lifetime to master it. So, and that, that's really just your negotiation skills is the mastering Texas Hold'em. And that's, that's the big tournament that they have in Las Vegas each year, the World Series of Poker, where people come from all over the world. They pay a $10,000 entry fee. There are thousands of people who pay. There's probably close to $100 million in prize money. It's a big deal. And again, that, that, that's their poker skills. Texas Hold'em. Yes. All right. That, my team's either going to be sending you love letters or hate letters. I'm not okay. sure. But I can't wait. Last question. If there's one piece of advice you want us to remember about negotiating from this conversation, what is that? Being a good listener. Yeah, still, it's always coming down, which a lot of real estate skills are just being a good listener and having goals, you know, having figuring out what you want and then how do you accomplish it there, you know, but through listening and asking the right questions there. But again, I think that, and that's not just real estate or poker, that's just life in general. It's like, really, what do you want to accomplish? How yeah. do you get there? What do you want? How do you get there? And don't forget, listening is a big part of it. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. What's that? Happy oh, yeah. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It'll be after Thanksgiving by the time we release this. But thanks for being on again. That You're was welcome. great. Thanks for having me. Always fun.